Hello, and welcome to History Talk. Bite-sized morsels of history they never taught us in school. I'm Annette Marshall, and this is History Tarts, a podcast where we look at events in history, but not the way it's presented in school. Here's my podcast partner in crime, Graham Cairns. Hey, Annette, how are you? Hey, good, Graham. i got a question for you, by the way. Yeah? It's a Harry Potter question. Where can you find Dumbledore's army? Where? Up his sleevey. No? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. okay, sorry, I had to give a Dumbledore joke because we're talking, well, we're not really talking about Harry Potter, but we're talking about the Philosopher's Stone today. We are, we are, Graham. And no, listeners, we aren't slowly changing into a Harry Potter podcast. We're not. Nicholas Flamel was a real person and the Philosopher's Stone did exist, apparently, At least it's rumoured to have existed long before J.K. Rowling ever wrote down the name. So historians possess not only knowledge of Flamel's legendary status, but also hold documented records of his life. Furthermore, he has left numerous imprints in modern-day Paris. You could even embark on a journey through Paris to discover the remnants of his presence in the city. However... Before delving into Nicholas Flamel, let's provide a a little overview of alchemy, because without an understanding of alchemy, the rest of the episode isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So, isn't just alchemy like chemistry? Not really. Kind of. So, alchemy is an intricate and ancient philosophical tradition that has its roots in both mystical and scientific pursuits. Throughout history, alchemy has undergone various transformations from its origins in antiquity to its evolutions into modern chemistry, as you said. This esoteric practice has captivated the imaginations of countless individuals, seeking to unlock the secrets of matter, transformation, and even spiritual enlightenment. In its earliest forms, alchemy emerged in civilizations such as Egypt, Greece, and China. It combines elements of metallurgy, medicine, and spiritual philosophy. Now, alchemists aims to transmute base metals into noble ones like gold and discover the elixir of life. Now, this is a substance said to grant eternal youth and immortality. However, these goals were often veiled in a metaphorical language, with the actual processes hidden behind symbolic terms and imagery. Alchemy gained prominence in the Islamic world during the Middle Ages, where scholars translated and expanded upon ancient Greek and Roman texts. These scholars, known as alchemists, believed that physical transformations mirrored spiritual ones, seeking to purify both substances and themselves. Alchemy was not solely about material transmutation. 
It was also a spiritual journey aimed at self-discovery and enlightenment. So the transition from traditional alchemy to modern chemistry began around the 17th century. As the scientific method took hold, alchemy's mystical and spiritual aspects were gradually separated from its empirical practices. With advancements in understanding chemical properties, the quest for material transmutation was largely discredited. Instead, chemistry emerged as a rational and systematic discipline focused on understanding the composition and behaviour of matter. So, While alchemy's original goals may seem far-fetched by today's scientific standards, its legacy is still evident. Many chemical processes and laboratory equipment used in modern science have their roots in alchemical practices. Additionally, some of the symbols and terminology of alchemy have persisted in fields like chemistry and psychology, with elements like sulfur, mercury, and salt representing various aspects of transformation and the human psyche. Of course, alchemy terms have also come through. You're a Dungeons & Dragons player, I know this. In Mm -hmm. fact, aren't you in a Dungeons & Dragons and Toastmasters group? I am, I am. That's a, an, a weird combination, but I'm just thinking that you know, mages and sorcerers and alchemists and wizards still all use the same theories and, and techniques of alchemists. I mean, in a game, obviously, you're, you're not actually casting spells or, you know, I don't know. I've seen some Dungeons & Dragons players who might as well be under spells when they're playing. But So I guess that's where many people are still sort of vaguely familiar with alchemy. Yeah. Yeah, and like symbolically, alchemy can be seen as a metaphor for personal growth and transformation. So the stages of alchemical processes, uh, such as calcination, dissolution, separation, and conjunction, have been interpreted as representing the challenges and milestones of individual development. Just as alchemists sought to transform base materials into gold, individuals strive to refine their inner selves and reach a state of personal excellence. So, we've had our little lesson in alchemy. Now, let's get back to Nicholas Flamel. So, Nicholas Flamel lived during the 14th century, a time when the Middle Ages were drawing to a close, situated in the bustling heart of Paris. A figure described as tall with brown hair, he possessed qualities of kindness, intelligence, and deep devotion. However, the image we might conjure of an eccentric, disheveled alchemist surrounded by noxious fumes couldn't be any further from the truth. Flamel lived amidst the labyrinthine web of narrow, grimy streets, teeming with noise and pungent odours. Flamel held the profession of a scribe. In an era prior to the advent of printing, scribes were responsible for painstakingly duplicating texts and books. Flamel also undertook the roles of a public writer, aiding those who couldn't read, binding books, and engaging in the trade of selling them. You might say, uh, in modern terms, that Flamel was in his scribe era. Graham. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) 
Legend weaves an intriguing narrative involving Flamel's dream of an angel delivering to him a significant book. This distinctive book, with a cover that stood out, concealed within its pages a profound secret. The angel conveyed that Flamel would eventually be the one to unlock this secret. There can be only one. Graham, I'm a little bit jealous. I have never had an angel visit me in a dream telling me that I would do anything. I have, but not entirely what the, no, that's a different sort of dream. We won't go there. <laughs> oh God. Quickly, as years passed, Flamel's dream faded into the background, like I hope my memory of that conversation does one day. Fate intervened one day when an elderly traveller appeared, offering Flamel an ancient book for sale. Wow. This book, comprising 21 pages divided into seven chapters, immediately caught Flamel's attention. To his astonishment, the cover of the book matched the one from his dream. The pages contained a recipe detailing the transformation of lead into gold and the creation of the elixir of life. Without hesitation, Flamel acquired the book. Now, I'm curious, Graham. If the book had all of this stuff, why would the elderly traveller sell it? Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. You know that. No, uh, yeah, I have to say, I'm maybe because the maybe because the dude who had it had already lived for thousands of years and was getting sick of it and wanted to move on. I don't know. But would you look a, a, a gift? old dude in the mouth if he was giving you you know eternal life and the ability to turn lead into gold true true the book was filled with symbols intricately linked to the kabbalah an esoteric jewish mystical doctrine unknown to catholics flamel just couldn't read the book Undaunted, though, Flamel and his wife, Pernell. I love when couples' names rhyme, but <laughs> if his wife was Pernell, then when they got married, her name would be Pernell Flamel, which mm -hmm. I just love. I love that. Sounds like an ice cream bar. Yeah, yeah. So Flamel and Pernell Flamel embarked on a quest to decipher the enigmatic content. Seeking guidance, Flamel turned to the alchemical community in Paris, only to be met with disappointment. It became apparent that unravelling the Kabbalah's secrets was his key to the understanding. Now, there was a problem, you see. In medieval Paris of that time, Jews constituted a marginalised community and they were often subjected to persecution. Their willingness to share their cultural and intellectual heritage with Catholics was limited. You know, given the mutual distrust, if if you're being persecuted, you're not going to easily help someone. Mm -hmm. Flamel recognised the improbability of finding a Jewish scholar willing to assist him in Paris. He discerned that his quest for knowledge should extend to Spain, where a larger Jewish population thrived. Ah, uh, this is the Santiago de Compostela story. I wondered where this came in. Yeah, 
So determined, he embarked on a pilgrimage to the tomb of St. James in Santiago de Compostela. Is that how you said it? Yes, indeed. Yeah. So in northern Spain. Uh, There he joined other pilgrims on the pilgrimage. This journey spanned roughly 1,500 kilometres or 930 miles for the Americans listening. And it was characterized by its length, hazards, and just pure exhaustion. Upon reaching Spain, Flamel encountered Conchez, a learned converso, a Jewish individual who had converted to Christianity. Intrigued by Flamel's tale, Conchez was keen to see the book for himself. On their journey back, he instructed Flamel of the intricacies of the Kabbalah. Sadly, the journey proved fatal for Conchez, who passed away in Orleans without setting eyes on the book at all. What Flamel... a terrible coincidence that is. <laughs> right, right. Flamel, however, had gained sufficient knowledge to begin deciphering the recipe. Embracing alchemy, he conducted numerous experiments, always assisted by his wife, Pernell Flamel which is the only way I'm going to say her name for the rest of my life. In the year 1382, 21 years after acquiring the 21-page book, Flamel finally unlocked the formula for creating the Philosopher's Stone and the Elixir. Now, the depiction of the Philosopher's Stone has varied across different sources, myths, and interpretations. In alchemical and mystical traditions, the Philosopher's Stone is often described as a legendary substance with profound transformative properties. However, there is no single agreed-upon description of what the Philosopher's Stone actually looks like. In some alchemical texts and illustrations, the Philosopher's Stone is depicted as a small, precious stone or gem. It might be shown as a luminous, radiant object with various colours, though often red or white. See, white is for the purpose of making silver, and red is for the purpose of making gold, the white stone being a less matured version of the red stone. Flamel's Flamel's newfound knowledge translated into immense wealth. A philanthropic individual He used a portion of his riches to aid the less fortunate while also supporting churches and hospitals in his city. According to the tale, he orchestrated mock funerals for himself and his wife, Penel Flamel, before embarking on a journey to the Indies. Now, I mentioned at the start of the episode that you can find traces of Nicolas Flamel in Paris today. There are two streets related to Flamel and his wife the Rue Nicolas Flamel and the Rue Penel. They are situated in the neighbourhood where they lived, right on the bank, not very far from Notre Dame and Le Louvre. The street was called the Rue Marivaux, literally the street of the marsh at the time Nicolas Flamel was alive, and it was named after him in 1851. He lived at the angle between this street and what is now the wide Rue de Rivoli, the oldest house of Paris, in f- which was made in 1407, is also known as the House of Nicolas Flamel. This beautiful stone house, classified by the French state, 
is situated in the 51 Rue de Montmorency in the third arrondissement. 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 My French is horrible. I can say croissant uh, and parlez-vous anglais, and that is it. That is it. Well, look, if you can say, Palais uh, Glad, I want a croissant, then all you need is, is you know, and uh, amour. I suppose that's all you really need in Paris. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, so, yeah, the house is now a restaurant. Uh, you can go there and have possibly not have a croissant, uh, but you can have something, I guess. Um, no, They'll make something out of nothing. Is that how it works? No, go on. <laughs> they can transform something not so great into something beautiful, I okay. guess. You can also see Nicholas Flamel's tomb in the Clooney Museum of the Middle Ages, located in the Latin Quarter. But if he didn't die, then what's in the tomb? Or shouldn't we ask? Well, I think that it might just be the uh, the false false body from his fate funeral that he faked himself. Right. Who yeah. knows where Nicholas Flamel is now and his wife, Penel Flamel. They they should still be around if it's immortality. Mm-hmm. May, oh, maybe it's Bill Gates. Maybe Bill Gates is Nicholas Flamel. No, but didn't we determine in our last episode that Bill Gates and all the other leaders were in fact lizard people? Oh. What if Nicholas Flamel is a lizard person? <laughs> Actually, the best part about all of this story, uh, of course, is that it's almost certainly not true because we know <laughs> a lot about the historical figure of Nicholas Flamel and we know a lot about the alchemical connection of Nicholas Flamel. But unfortunately, all of the the stories of Flamel, the alchemist, are from about 200 years after he died. Well, maybe died, maybe didn't. Yes, but Graham, as we have already proven on this podcast, if you believe in Jesus, then you believe in Diogenes. And mm-hmm. if you believe in Diogenes, now you believe in Nicholas Flamel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How very sweet. <laughs> so that's that's it. It's a short little episode on Nicholas Flamel because I heard a reference to him in a podcast I was listening to, and it blew my little mind that he was a real person, not just a made-up character. Ah, because you'd only ever heard of Nicholas Flamel and his connection with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Yes. Mm. It's a very sweet transformation. On the subject of sweet, I have to say, I am in the process of trying to get over an addiction to chocolate and marshmallows and nuts. I won't lie, it's a rocky road. I I thought you were going with s'mores then. <laughs> s'mores jokes? I can come up with more. I can come up with s'mores and s'mores and s'mores of them. Yeah. Oh, see, see, when I talk to you, Graham, I never know if a joke is coming or if it's something true. I, I have no faith in what you're saying until you finish a sentence. I know, I know. It's, it's like me and every time I look at a chocolate bar, it looks at me in Snickers. The reason I'm making these terrible chocolate jokes is because in our next edition, we're going to look at the yummy, yummy, but perhaps not so yummy, but very sweet history of chocolate. 
Mm. So, Graham, I would actually love if listeners could send in a request for things that they would like us to talk about. It could be things that they think might be true or just something that they want us to look into. I'm always happy to go down the rabbit hole and find out stuff that I don't know and share it because that's what History Tarts is all about. Where can they leave these suggestions? At historytarts.com. Just go to the website and there's a, hmm, would you like to ask a question tab? And if you go there and ask a question, then you can and we'll answer. may not be serious, but we will answer. If you want something covered by History Tarts, then send us an email, historytarts at gmail.com or just check the link on the side of our page. (laughs) 